connecting to the AOC Podcast Network. Enjoy your stay. Good morning. Uh, my name is Becca Begnell, and my guest on Le Cado, Le Cado podcast today is my friend, Betty Vadrine. Thank you for coming, Betty. Thank you for inviting me, Becca. I'm glad to be here with you in discussing this important subject. So um, I happen to know that you, you play the harp with a purpose. Yes, I do. I, um, I play to glorify God. And in that process, healing occurs with people. So the whole purpose of the Le Cato podcast is, is about healing, mm-hmm. about the gift of healing. And so you work um, as, as a harpist, but did you always do it for purposes of healing? No, I didn't. Um, I'm going to start with my own healing history. There you go. And... So when I was about 20, I came down with ulcerative colitis. And that's a disease where your whole colon disintegrates. Wow. And I had that for about five years. Um, I had precancerous cells. They were going to have to do a complete colostomy on me. And at that time, there was no do a temporary and repair it. Um, but I did have the best doctor in the world, uh, Dr. Florence Lawson. She was the world-renowned specialist in that field. Here or in, in a, Chicago? In Chicago. And so you're a Yankee? No. Well, I okay. was born in New Jersey, <laughs> raised in Baton Rouge. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And uh, when my husband and I got married, there weren't any jobs here. So we moved to Chicago, Chicago. and got work. Wow. So, uh, but... Uh, I got um, the best doctor in the world on that subject, and she treated me and gave me medicine, and it healed. It had a healing process, the medicine, but every three months I had to get off of it because it was very hard medicine, and it was destroying my heart. Exactly. So every three months I would get off it, and every three months when I got off the medicine, I would get much worse. Wow. So then... I went to her, and she gave me six months. And I said, well, I had to think about if I was going to have that surgery or not. Right. And I was an atheist. And so basically you were weighing the side effects versus the benefits because at some point you weren't getting better. Right. But the side effects were going to make you worse no matter what. Yes. So she gave you six months off of the medicine or on the medicine? No, on the medicine. She was going to decide if you were going to have surgery or not. She was going to okay. keep me comfortable while I was doing that. But I went home and I thought about it and I thought, you know, I can't have that surgery. I just didn't want it. Right. I just wanted to die instead of have that surgery. And so I was an atheist, and we had a friend who was a Christian, and he kept witnessing to me, and I didn't want to hear it at all. Right. And, but there I was dying, and I knew it. Mm -hmm. Blood was just pouring out of my body, and 
the life is in the blood, you know, and when and the, the blood leaves, your life is leaving, and I could feel that happening in me. And so I thought, you know, if there is a God, then by definition, he made everything. Right. And if he made everything, he can fix everything. So I said, God, <laughs> if you're there, <laughs> please heal me. And when I said that, he punched me in the stomach. God did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and the ceiling opened up. I was in the first floor of a two-story building, and the ceiling opened up, and I saw visions of angels wow. walking up and down on a ladder, which I later found out that ladder is the symbol of Jesus Christ. But I didn't know that at the time. Right. I saw that. And I said, well, hmm, if, <laughs> if there really is a God, I want to be sure. Because I was a great skeptic. And I said, I want to always be sure. So I said, tomorrow I'm going to throw away all my medicine. And I knew what happened when I got off the medicine. I got much worse. So I said, tomorrow I'll throw it away. Why I said tomorrow instead of today, I don't know. But anyway, that's, <laughs> that's how it worked. So the next day, I threw away all my medicine, and I got better. And in that moment that God punched me in the stomach and I saw the angels, he convinced me of the reality of the Trinity. Right. Total conviction. So I've never had any doubts from that day to this. I know a lot of people who have doubts in their faith. I thank God I never have. I guess I went through all those doubts well, the first 26 years. <laughs> you lived totally, totally doubtful, and then all of a sudden you had a vision. And right. When, when, when you say he punched you in the gut, did you feel something in the area we call the gut in your stomach, or did you just? It felt like somebody was just pushing really hard there in my so stomach. So you felt that, right. Now, did yeah. you tell this to a psychologist or a psychiatrist? No. Because. I went back to the doctor because I didn't go to one. <laughs> I um I went back to the doctor because I had to have a monthly proctoscope all the time. I had that for years. And I went back to my doctor after a month, and I told her that I had decided not to have the surgery. And she said she was really sorry, but I was of age, and I could make my own decisions. Right. And she would keep me comfortable. And I didn't tell her about my prayer. Vision, exactly. So she gave me a proctoscope. And when she came out of that, she said, it's a miracle. She said, your whole colon has completely regrown, and there's no scar tissue. Because she had seen remissions before. Right. But people who have spontaneous remissions have lots of scar tissue. And she said, my colon was like a brand-new baby. Wow. So that's how I became a believer in God, and that's how I became convinced of alternative methods of healing, I guess you could say. Right. And I had a great doctor. I'm not talking against the medical profession No, 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 because I'm still friends with my doctors and oncologists, and we need, we're not saying, this This has nothing to do with anti-medicine. No. The gift comes from lots of places. They serve. Yeah. Wow. But God definitely heals. And then I was re- I started reading the Bible 
which I had never read before. Well, I had read pieces, but never really read it. And I came across the place where King David <coughs> was called by King... So- where, well, he wasn't a king yet. David, he was a harpist. And he was called to play the harp at the palace for Saul to cast out his Saul's evil spirits and heal him. And I thought, I'd like to do that with my harp. And so I tried, and I didn't do a very good job. <laughs> so I knew I needed training. And I went and got training and then certified in it, music for healing and transition. And when I say I didn't do a good job, this is my great example. My husband's sister was dying of cancer. And I said, I'll go play for her. And she said no. And I said, oh, yeah. Like I pushed myself in on her, which was the very wrong thing to do. Hey, you were zealous. I was. (laughs) We understand. So I brought my harp in there, (coughs) and I started playing the absolute wrong kind of music for her. And she got very agitated. Now, at least I could tell that. So I stopped. (laughs) Exactly. But that showed me, you know, I could actually hurt people if I do the wrong thing, and I certainly don't want to do that. So that was when my husband said, well, why don't you go and get this training that you've been talking about? So I did. It's so, it's so, it's so exciting. Mm-hmm. You know, and in your zealousness, one, if you had had a complete and spontaneous remission, you wanted the same thing for everybody. Well, you know, the same answer is not going to be for everybody. Right. And you had the tool and you got this, from a good source, from a good book, and it, <laughs> but then you you learned. Uh, that's just so amazing. So, when we say you played the harp, did you just like what was your musical connection, or you already had musical training? When I was about four, I told my parents I wanted to play the harp, wow. and they said we can't afford it, <laughs> and so which we couldn't afford much in those days, and. But they said, if you take piano now, when you get older, you'll be able to learn the harp. So they did buy a piano for me and gave me piano lessons for many years. And I still enjoy playing the piano a lot. But that wasn't what I was doing it for. I was doing it always in my mind. I had the direction of playing the harp. Wow. So, but nobody knew it anymore. I didn't talk about it at all. But when I got to LSU, I saw they had harps. So did you go to LSU to study music? or No, I just went to LSU because I graduated college. from Baton Rouge High School and, they, you, go and school. you go to LSU. So. Yeah, the next step. So I was at LSU and I was in the music building because I was taking a music appreciation course. And I, I just wandered. And I like to wander, so I was wandering around the music building and I saw two harps. So I went downstairs to the office and I said, can I learn harp here? (laughs) And they said, yes. And they didn't have any harp students, and they didn't even have a harp teacher on staff, but they had a local harpist who was an adjunct and available for people who wanted to learn harp. So they hired her, and she taught me um, Mrs. Dorothy McConnell, and she was the student of one of the greatest harpists of the last century. So i I was getting really good teaching there. Wow. And they had the two harps, two great harps that Huey Long had bought for LSU, but nobody was playing them. 
And after I played about six weeks, I think, or three months, they put me right in the orchestra. And (laughs) that was pretty scary because I had never played in public before and I had never played with people before because you take piano lessons all your life, you never play with anybody, basically. Exactly. So, you're, I mean, nobody even knows you play the piano. Maybe an annual recital if the teacher no, does No, my that. teacher didn't do recitals. Wow, not so even that. Yeah. I, had, I didn't even do that. So they put me in the orchestra, and they assigned me to um, Dr. Kenneth Klaus, who was the viola teacher at LSU. Mm-hmm. And so he would always, he sat, they put me right next to him, and he would teach, he would teach me how to follow the conductor because I had no clue how to follow the conductor, what anything meant. That's so funny. And I learned fast. <laughs> that is hysterical. It's just, it's amazing, you know. But I loved it so much. Exactly. You, you, you it, were born wanting and loving and having mm-hmm. that as a desire. It was the dream of my life to play the harp, and so getting to do it was just, people ask me all the time, is it hard to learn? I say, I don't know, because I wanted it so bad. Exactly. It wasn't hard for me to spend all the time at it that I needed, you know, like practice six, eight hours a day and stuff like that. That sounds hard, but for me it was not because I loved it. You wanted it. it. Yeah. You wanted it. So when, what year, do you remember the year you took your first class or about healing? Yes, 19, let's see, 1998, I think, is when I started taking the class. So might have I, been ninety seven because in nineteen ninety five when I invited you to come with me to do the CD that I did called Lucado, which is why I named this podcast. It's about the gift. You hadn't even taken a class yet. No, but I did reading, but right. I hadn't ta- but I hadn't taken the class yet. No, that's amazing. Not on healing, of course I. Well, yeah, you had harp. learned the, you yeah. had learned the harp. So, so since then, um, you know, I have, I have, I had my own experience of of needing healing, which I received. You had your own experience of needing healing that you received. So, oh, I thought I had done this. Excuse me, that's my cell phone. <laughs> uh, that's hysterical. It makes a pretty sound. Yeah, I kind of like it. It's very musical. Uh, well, I turned it off, but you have to turn power off, and then you have to turn it power off twice. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Now Complicated. Really yeah. <laughs> I did it halfway the first time. So as adults, we have we didn't do all this as children. You know, we... No, we did not. Amazing. So, So we have been... As, as adults intertwined, well, we had children in high school at the same time. Mm-hmm. So that brought us together as moms. And That's then, how we met, through our daughters. Exactly. And then at some point, my daughter met your husband mm-hmm. as a former and a beekeeper and all into sustainable living. And you played for my mom through hospice when she was dying. That was a real moving experience for me. It was huge for for us. Uh, I knew it was a comfort I was bringing that you can't put into words. So, Well, the first time I played for your mom, she was totally non-responsive, and a number of family me- members were there. And somebody asked me to play something that she had always loved, and I explained to him, no, 
I can't play a song like that right now. I'm going to play what I know is the best thing for her at this time. So they were good with that. And then about two nights later, I had a real strong feeling I needed to go see your mom again. Right. And I went, and nobody else was there. It was just me and her. So I played for her, and then... And whenever I'm playing for people, I'm always praying for them also. Exactly. So they're getting that intention of the prayer with the music. So after I finished playing for your mom, I went over to the bed and I took her hand and I said, would you like me to pray with you? She didn't respond, but I prayed with her. And then she, she clasped my hand. Wow. And that was the only response she had had to anybody in weeks. Right. So I knew the music had reached her, God had reached her. Yeah. And it was a beautiful experience. And she died either the next morning or the one after that. Exactly. I remember. She died the weekend of Hurricane Katrina. Okay. She died the Friday that Katrina hit that weekend. Okay. Well, I must have been there Thursday night then probably. And so like. My daughter, Marie, who was also named after my mother, Marie, said, you know, she would want to go out with the bang because <laughs> the weather conditions, we couldn't even make funeral plans because it was just, it was just a, it was meant to be that way. Yeah. That Mama would like that in her own way, and we laughed. So I was real grateful because there's only so much that medicine can do. Yes. Because dying is a natural process. It is, and although much of medical practice denies that, exactly. not in reality, they don't verbally deny it, but their practices deny it. Um, but my purpose and the purpose of the healing music is to give people comfort in that transition. I had a friend who, another friend who was dying of cancer, and she was fighting God on this. She was angry at God and did not want to accept that she was dying. She had grown children, and she was making plans to be with them for Thanksgiving, and I knew she was not going to pass Labor Day, you know. Exactly. So, of course, I didn't say that, and I'm not a prophet, but that was my feeling. So one night... I brought my harp to go play for her. She was up in Lourdes. And all the way there I prayed, God, please, please let me play for her in such a way that she can accept what's happening. And I didn't know what to play. And I got up there and I just played. But that was my intention behind the playing. And after I left, she asked the nurse for paper and pencil, and she wrote letters to her children. Exactly. She had accepted it, and she was at peace with God, and I felt like, thank you, Lord, that I was able to do that. You participated in that. You know, not everybody is going to get well. No, they're not. Not everybody's going to have the spontaneous remissions. No. You know, like, throw your crutches away and walk, my sister. Well, if we do that, sometimes we fall flat. So we there's an understanding and then people want an explanation, but we can't give it to them. 
So I had invited my son to interview me, much like this, for something called StoryCorps. I've heard of it. It's something where intergenerational families or people from different generations, in you know, it's just to record what you want to know of your parents or vice versa. Nice. Well, I was very brave because <laughs> my son could ask me anything, and of course he did. And we went to the healing, and and it was much like this. We were in a booth, but the recording other person there was the technician and so we're good at giving each other left-handed compliments Mm -hmm. in my family so my son is like you know mom um you're not exactly the best housekeeper but when someone is dying you know what to do whatever and so then the technician comes out from his hiding place of being invisible and goes can i ask a question (laughs) like well yeah you know he goes if you're a healer, why do the people die? And I'm like, listen, you know, Jesus died and Mohammed died and <laughs> Gandhi died and every human being is going to die. You know, as a healer, there's a difference between healing and curing. And you know that. But that if I'm dealing with someone whose death is, is coming to them, even if they don't get any cure they can be more comfortable and thus be able to deal with what they have to do. They need to make peace with God. Exactly. And with people to the extent possible. Right. That's my hope for them. It's my hope for me while I'm still here. (laughs) Right, because you may not have another spontaneous remission, right? Eventually going to run out of those. (laughs) Well, God healed me. You know, it was a great healing. I'm sure. But I've had a lot of things that he doesn't heal me from. So, yes, you know, I take daily medicine for thyroid problems. And I'm not mad at God for that. No, exactly. <laughs> Thank it's, God they have those medicines, you know. And did you find that when you had this spontaneous remission and your physician told you that, that your physician... Don't call it a remission because it was a complete a healing. healing. So when you had that healing... That the, the, the doctor was okay with that. Did you educate the doctor as to your prayer then, or did yeah. you just? Yeah. So you were able to educate her about healing mm-hmm. in that moment. See, because that happened, that happened to to me too, and like so often when a person receives a healing, they don't want to tell the doctor because they don't think the doctor is capable of understanding. <laughs> like. But in this case, you educated you, doctor. How did she react or receive? Or I wish I could remember. <laughs> Basically, she wasn't denying it. Oh, no, no, not at all. So when we have something that goes beyond, like spiritual and mental and emotional and physical healing are all part of healing. Yes. So if we can't educate the people that are in the other polarity... How are we going to ever get together? How will we? You built a bridge in that moment. Well, I, I, okay, about um, in the eighties, when I, I had another physical problem with my colon, it was not ulcerative colitis, but I had a problem, mm-hmm. and I went to a local gastroenterologist, and I told him my history and how God had healed me of ulcerative colitis, and he didn't believe me. Of course not. 
I said, send for my records. And in his mind, he told me later, he thought this was some quack who had diagnosed me. But when he got my records, he found out I had been treated by the world-famous specialist in that disease. And he had to believe me. Well, his other alternative was believe that you were cracked. Yeah. But he didn't mention that, so that was very good. (laughs) So then he came to, so, so you were able to educate or at least share the reality of what happened with right. you. And he can't deny it because he, he saw the records from a very reputable doctor and he saw what's happening now. Because I find that as a healer, I don't, I don't have an investment in what kind of healing you receive from the work. I know you're going to get something. I don't have to have a, an affirmation. I don't have to know how you were healed. I don't have to know, know when. I just do, and, and I just trust the process. It's what he, happens is between you and God. But see, like a lot of people, I understand, that have the same ideas like what you're saying. Right. My sister, for example, she says, well, can you heal my diabetes? I said, no. <laughs> You know, I can't do anything like that. I, I rely on God. He does it all. Exactly. And what he does, I can't predict for you. Exactly. I can be the vessel to help, but I don't know what he's going to do. But you're also not setting your set up, yourself up when you do the work you do and bring your music to the people. What, what and in whatever way God responds to them is not up to you at all. No. So it's kind of the same way that the traiteur would, would, would pray with someone and do whatever they did because there was a specific prayer. But then you don't say thank you because it's God and not them that heals. Hmm. I didn't know that. That's how, that's how that became part of the culture because we just helped each other. Mm-hmm. It's just, but it's not with expectation that is necessarily... I don't know. I'm, well, I'm, I know a lot of people who do. You understand do, what I'm asking? I may not be clear. I, I hear a lot of people say we don't have expectations for what we do, but I do have expectations for what I do. When I was working at the hospital, I would go into a patient's room and they would be very in, much in pain, stress on their face, wrinkles, you know, in misery, you could see. My expectation was that I would be able to calm that person down, give them peace, help alleviate their pain with the kind of music that I was playing. Exactly. And my expectation was usually met for that. So that's why I kind of tell people I specialize in pain and anxiety because it's not that I'm going to cure your pain forever, but I can almost always relieve whatever pain you're having with the right music and prayers that I... So do you remember when my cousin Paul was close to his death? Okay. And I I called his children uh, because it was getting close, and and I let them know I had a friend who did this work, and and the daughter-in-law who answered said, well, you might want to come over because he's agitated. Okay, so I went over with you in mind, and it was already too late for you Mm -hmm. for that moment. So um, I I told them, I said, I had a nurse friend with me, and I said, she has a lullaby CD, a Cajun lullaby CD. 
Maybe we could play that for him. Because I also see that your music and that healing when it is brought into a situation, it, it has an effect on everybody that's there. It has a yes, sense it of does. calming. It does. You know, and so I'm thinking, well, we could all use a dose of this. I experienced it with mom, you know, and it's a beyond word thing. So nobody talked about going get the CD, and I don't know if his daughter, who was kind of in charge, was going to allow it. And then so somebody looks at me, and they said, well, why don't you sing? And like, why not? And so I sang. And he physically left mm-hmm. while I was singing. Wow. And and I could see what, I don't always sing when I do the work that I do with people, but I can. And the nurse who was with me, who was an oncology nurse, and, you know, she, she knew when life left his body. And she said, well, I, I think he's gone now. And I'm like, I don't think I would have quit singing. Someone would have had to tell me to stop. So... I don't have to be a musically trained harpist to bring healing. Absolutely not. It's amazing. And so I was doing your work even though you weren't there. Thank you very much. The the program that I'm in, that I graduated in, they take anybody with any acoustical instrument or voice. Right. So it doesn't have to be harp. I know a guy in Florida... He's in one of the hospitals in Tampa. I can't think of it right now. But he has a permanent job there. And he plays a big double bass. No. Yes. Oh, I love it. But he plays it. I mean, you always think rock, jazz. He plays it as healing music. He does a magnificent job. Wow. He's been there for, oh, at least 10 years now. So do you think... That if someone just plays music with the intention of healing, that healing can happen? Nope. What do you think? That was my experience with my sister-in-law. I wanted to help her. Right. I heard her. But in, in that case, you particularly knew that, and you were... you were. I recognized that I was doing the wrong you thing. Rec- but that's also because you knew her. But when, like, I'm talking about someone on stage, or when you have a concert, or just any time... Can't we bring healing into the world with our music, even if it's not in a one-on-one? Oh, I see what you're saying. Yes. Um, Music can be used, okay, what we call intentionality. Yes. Music can be used to get the intention of the musician out to the world. Exactly. That's what you do. And so I use the example of, you know, People who were big stars, and I don't know any of them, so I can't name anybody. (laughs) But, you know, big rock stars who get kids all excited for sex and drugs and everything else. That's the intention of their heart. That's why it's coming out to the kids out there who are listening and absorbing it. Whether they're saying it or not, it's the intention that's coming out. So it can be used for evil as well as good. And... You know, the wrong rhythms, the wrong tonalities can really have bad effects on people. Because I'm telling you, you know, I play percussion, right? So when I'm playing the rub board and the triangle with whoever I'm playing with whenever, and whatever song we're playing, whether it's, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm on curfew, or something else, you know, my hope is that 
somebody can get some healing from the rhythms I'm contributing to this. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that we can exponentially do a lot of good if musicians understood the capacity through their gift and 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 if they would ask to be used as a vessel at that time. Mm -hmm. You know, because it's kind of like when I do work with someone, my job is to surrender and allow that they get what they need through. Right. And I, I tell them your job is to relax and receive whatever you need. Because we're not playing anywhere. People usually tell me the music is very relaxing. Exactly. Even if I'm not playing for that purpose and even if I'm playing some kind of wild music. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. The intention of my heart is never to cause evil. So <laughs> they get relaxed. Exactly. So what have you done, or anything you want to say, between when you began learning music intentionally for healing and when you went to Norway? Because you, you went to Norway and I told you I had a cousin there and you met my cousin yes. in Norway. That's funny. And your cousin picked me up. And said, what would you like to eat? I said, I, I want a hamburger. I said, I'm really tired of fish. So, <laughs> and the, lots of fish. Wonderful, delicious fish in Norway. And I never in my life thought I would get tired of fish, but I did. So I said, I want a hamburger. And so she took me for, she said, it's not going to be like an American hamburger. It was elk, I think. And it was a white meat hamburger. Wow. It was good, though. Wow. And the. They don't do fries. I wanted fries. They don't do fries. In Norway, they had a little cup of boiled potatoes. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. But she was so nice. She picked me up, and we walked around and had a really good time. So while you were there, you know, we are all over the world. We find tri tribal <laughs> members all over the world. You, you came upon a song. So you want to tell us about that song? Because we performed that one time, you and I, at a hospice. Yes, thing. we did. Okay. Um, I was on a concert tour. I mm -hmm. had been chosen one of 12 harpists, I think, in America to go on this concert tour. And so we were sitting at breakfast one day in Hoven, which is kind of in the middle of southern Norway. Mm -hmm. And the people started singing f American folk songs. And when you sing American folk songs, you're going to be singing hymns and gospel songs. And they started singing When the Roll is Called Up Yonder. Oh, yeah. And they got to the second verse, and it said, Undertaker, don't drive away so fast. That's my mother in there. That's the second verse. And it was the an fifth anniversary of my mother's death. Oh, my goodness. And I lost it. I just lost it. I just started bawling like a baby. And one of the ladies came and put her arm on me to comfort me. And uh, one of the guys went back to his room, and he got his harp. And he came down and started playing for me. And that song was the one he composed for me. Wow. And he had the words in front of him because we had bought some he had bought a book of poetry in Norwegian the day before, and this poem was in there. And so he was putting that poem to the music he was playing for me. But he translated it to English for me because I didn't know Norwegian. 
And that's where that song came from, Kevin Holsinger. He's a harpist in San Francisco area. He's the one who did that. And he's a very uh, good harpist and a very strong Christian man, and he was intuitive enough to feel that I needed something there, and I did. It was a great healing moment for me about my mother's death. So without being too silly, he gave you a dose of your own medicine. He did. (laughs) Perfect way to express it. I love that. So we are hoping to record that song because I'm going to be doing another CD. Mm -hmm. So I guess we need to get permission from him. Did you ask? He gave us permission. Okay. In fact, every once in a while he'll write and he'll say, did y'all do that CD yet? We're coming to it. (laughs) So that's exciting because uh, um, it's just exciting to think and not understand the depth of each other's lives in so many ways. Right. See, Kevin didn't know anything about me. And Dorothy, the lady who was putting her arm around me, she's a Canadian harpist. She didn't know anything about me. Nobody knew why I was crying, what was going on in my life. But they knew I was a fellow human being in trouble. Right. And they tended to you. Right. Wow. So another moment we have together and that poem is about death and dying mm-hmm. okay so another moment of life that brought us together was when my daughter died yes and uh she died and she took her own life at lake martin and you were there i was at lake martin that day working for the nature conservancy and but i i saw the police cars i saw everything but i had no clue what was going on, or that it was Dana, or anything. And I had no idea you were there. I know. But you started praying as soon as you knew, even before, because <laughs> yeah. somebody lost a family right. member. Right, Wow. And that's just, you know how, now that I look at how our, our lives have been woven together. They have, yes. Huge. And that's God. Yeah, because... We're just seeing the bigger picture now. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And I remember how special your visit was after her death when y'all came home. But I also understood that you were sharing in my grief. Yeah, I had to. And I couldn't deal with that much. All I, I don't know. It was to say I was comforted because you were uncomfortable. To say I felt comfort in. You being in pain with me doesn't sound cool or good. No, but but it's true. It's a group healing, and that's what the community heals. Yes. Some people have actual community rituals. Well, we have funerals, but this was another form of co-mourning, sharing a burden. Right. Wow. Well, thank you for suffering with me. (laughs) Well, it was like I had to the minute I heard. That it was Dana. I said, I have to go to Becca's. And your husband loved Dana so much. He was so grateful that a young, vibrant child or woman could be so much about what he was about his whole life, like sustainable living. Right. So thank you all for sharing in that process of my Um, grief. Well, we grieved also. Oh, my goodness, yeah. And now, you know, we just... And as Paul would say, and life goes on. You know, she took a picture of us. My high school class was having, I think, our 50th reunion, maybe. Uh Uh-huh. 
and she happened to be at the house. I said, can you take a picture of us? Oh, like the prom. You know, <laughs> so she did. I saw, I ran across it the other day. Wow. And I said, wow, this is the picture Dana took of us. It's a moment. It just brought it all back, yeah. Yeah, it's a moment. And, you know, I can actually understand that that music and healing and facing grief allows us to be free from it. Yeah. Not as a burden, but you have it's, to it's, feel the depth of the grief in order to get to the joy of life. It's You can't ignore it. It's like, I, well, and I think um, I'm going to talk about some people, but I'm not going to say who in the world they are. But I know people who deny death in this way. When their loved one dies, their husband, their wife, their child, they don't even hold a funeral. There's no mention in the paper. There's nothing. Right. They try to pretend it didn't happen, and then they go totally nuts. Yeah. They can't handle it. And I also see people deep in their religion, and they still can't handle it either because there's... Like every time they see me, if I was a friend with their child, they still cry. And I'm like, some kind of way, they're not being able to put themselves in a position to accept the comfort, even with you the know, ritual. There's a saying now I don't get that, that I hear a lot. Oh, nobody should ever have to go through that. Well, how can we live and not die? How can we live and not die? How can we live without trials? Because if we don't have trials, how are we going to know the guy who is able to take care of them, like that song says, you know? Right. We, if I had not had that sickness, and actually there's a psalm about this. If I had not had that sickness and come to God, I would have been doomed to hell because I absolutely did not live for God. I didn't believe in him at all. And... God brings us to these things because he loves us. He can bring good out of evil. Well, if I had not been ill with cancer, I wouldn't have become a healer. Mm -hmm. I wasn't trying to be a nurse without a cap or practice. You know, yeah, that always happens. You know, it, it, it always has the potential to happen that that when we can accept the death or the depth of suffering, or whatever, then we can also tap into the healing and the joy. Yes, it, it's it's like the day and the night have to come together, or you'll, or you'll get a sunburn so bad, or you'll never be able to see because of the darkness. It's like there is both. You know, a real simple example from a child: if you touch a hot stove, you pull back; it's hot, you're going to get burned. Exactly. Now, if you never touch that stove, how are you going to know that? for later on in life to handle problems. Exactly. So a lot of, you know, so I I didn't die of cancer, but I did have legionnaires and I did have other illnesses and I did have mental illness. So like every illness is an opportunity to bring us to a depth so that we can come out to the light again. Mm -hmm. It's, I, I never perceived it as. It's hard to see when you're in the pain. Right. But even the book of Job, you know, I used to laugh. I said, I think Job's last name was Begno, but I'm just making a joke here. But, you know, unless we can understand the suffering, then we can't 
come to the joy of life. And unless we can understand that death exists, then we can't live in resurrection. Right. There's something about about that. And without death, there is no resurrection. Exactly. But with the resurrection, then you have eternal life. And it doesn't have to... Yeah, so there's there's something very comforting about that. I believe that in... in but you know what? When I'm sick and in pain, I don't want anybody to tell me that. <laughs> exactly. I don't tell anybody when they get a diagnosis, one day you're going to be happy for this because no. they could punch me if they have the strength. Yes. It's something that you can learn. And I think when I did work at UMC, we had a, a support group that my doctor told me he thought I should, my oncologist said, I think you should volunteer there, so I did. And we would tell people, if you're going to pray, don't worry. And if you're going to worry, then don't bother to pray. That is so good. It seems harsh, but I mean, really. No, but it's true. It is, there is, it's the truth. Yeah, they talk about that in my Bible study. People, you know, will throw that out at each other because that's how it is. Right. And so these same principles apply. We're speaking as Catholics because that's how we... We we or we have a, a Catholic perception, but but if you are Jewish or if you are Native American or if you are Protestant or if you are Hindu or if you are Muslim, then however way God speaks to you, then these are our truths across the board. They're not only for us as women or us as American citizens or as Catholics. We're, we're speaking of these universal truths. So, I don't know, we're kind of like close to the Mm -hmm. end. Do you have any universal truth to give us as we leave the air? The thing, one of the things that meant the most to me as I was reading through the Bible, and I don't know any quotes, I don't memorize things, but I came upon a verse in Isaiah Uh that said, the people who live there, Will um, will not be sick, and they will have all their sins forgiven, and that's a very poor quote of it. But the point is that when your sins are forgiven, you get healed. Right, and it's all one process in God's eyes. And when Jesus told people, "Get up and walk." And the Pharisees got mad at him, and he says, what's easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? He says it's all the same thing. Yes, because forgiveness is a big part of healing. It's a big part. And and we can't really grasp that in some ways, but it, it, but it just it is what it is. And I've experienced that many times over and over again in my life. And forgiving other people and forgiving yourself for getting involved and forgiving... It gives you this freedom to live. Yes. Um, I, I took a course on death and dying. Did you ever take that course? I don't think so. Okay. At I, UL? At UL. No, I didn't. Uh, do you know Sarah Brabant? I don't. Although well, she taught death I know and who dying, she is, yeah. and she helped to create Hospice of Acadiana, and she helped to do a whole lot on, on grief and help us all understand loss. So she's like, you know, the first year I taught that, I thought I was teaching about death and dying. But really, I was teaching people how to live. And so there's something about facing a fear that gives you a freedom to live you wouldn't have had you never had to face Mm -hmm. the fear of illness or loss or death or whatever. It gives you—people tell me that that gave me 
a different perspective on life mm-hmm. because it happened so early in my life. Right. I was 26 when I was healed and became a Christian. And so it, all through my life, it has given me a different perspective on things because of that profound experience. Right. And you would never know by looking at you. <laughs> never I know. love it. No. Never know what? You would never know you had such a profound experience. Oh, no, I just have a plain face. <laughs> it you doesn't know? say. Exactly. You're not a rock star. No. But a star nonetheless, you know, like bright, like in the, just wonderful. Well, I've seen the effects that my healing and salvation has had on a lot of people. In your own world. Yes. Right. Yeah, because we don't live in a vacuum. Healing doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's a community thing. Mm-hmm. Disease isn't just for one member. It affects the whole family. Right. And healing and this same depth thing. of experience is the same thing. Yes. Well, thank you for sharing all that with us. It's my pleasure. I love to share that. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Le Cadeau Podcast. I'm your host, Becca Begno. Matt Roberts produced the show. Thanks to AOC Community Media for the use of their facilities. For information about AOC, you can visit aocinc.org. Thank you very much. Merci beaucoup. The views and opinions expressed on this or any program on the AOC Podcast Network do not reflect the views and opinions of Lafayette Consolidated Government, Cox Communications, LUS Fiber, AOC Community Media, its board of directors, or its staff. To learn more about becoming a community media producer, visit us on the web at aocinc.org.